May we worship God together. May we sing praise to his name, uh, singing in Psalm 1 of the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 1, Scottish Psalter, that's on page 200 of the Blue Books. That man has perfect blessedness, who walketh not astray, in counsel of ungodly men, nor stands in sinner's way, nor sitteth in the scorner's chair, but placeth his delight upon God's law and meditates on his law day and night. We'll sing the whole psalm to God's praise and we'll stand to sing. That man has perfect blessedness. shows an love that we cannot comprehend, a care that we pray that we all know and understand of, and a concern for us, over us, as a people that you have chosen and a people whom you love. And Lord, we come before you tonight. We pray that we would see ourselves in a new light as we do so, we pray that your light would illuminate, illuminate our understanding of ourselves, who we are, who we truly are. And as we meditate upon your words and the holiness of God comes forth before us and arrests our souls, we pray 
that we may acknowledge the sin that lies within us, deeply rooted within our hearts, a sin that many of us wish were not present within us, thorns in our flesh that we cannot rid ourselves of but seem to grow and sprout like seeds that we water ourselves at times because our nature does so enjoy these things that are so terrible for us and things that separate us from the presence of God. Pray each of us acknowledge ourselves truly before you and that we approach you with a right heart and in the right nature. Oh Lord, we are not deserving of your presence. And who are we to call upon you in prayer other than you have commanded us to do so and you do listen to our prayer because we have that great interceder, intermediator for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, how could we approach you? And Lord, we pray that you hear our prayers. You are one who does graciously listen to us and does not cast them from your ear. Lord, you hear the prayers that are not vocally uttered tonight, this even this night. You hear the anguish of many hearts, hearts that are in deep turmoil, within their own lives, within their own experiences. But you are one that knows our experience also. You know the hairs in our heads and you know what we need. You are that loving Father who can provide for us in a way that we cannot to one another. And even we ask that you would be the loving Father that would wrap around those who mourn this night. And that our loving arm would be felt as a caring provision and reassurance to those who have lost loved ones in recent days. We do not know how best to comfort others. We feel at loss at times when we try to. And so we commit the mourning, grieving people and families to you this night. We pray for our nation, we pray for our people. We pray that your word would go with power amongst us. We pray for the proclamation of your gospel throughout our nation, whether it be in amongst the cities or within amongst the rural communities of our land. We pray that the Spirit may be present with them. It may be a Spirit that would draw our hearts to you, Spirit that would engage and arrest us to bring us to a place where we must go. To acknowledge that we are lost without the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ atoning for us. The sacrificial lamb that was slaughtered for our behalf, that paid the penalty of sins and through his death we are enabled to great privileges. We are acceptable before God only in the sight of Christ. He is the one who has taken all our sins. As we stand before you, we, are, we bring them before you and acknowledge our sins and it is Christ that takes them and washes our garments that are stained and gives us the new cleansed garment and throws that old garment as far as east is from the west and a place where it shall no longer be seen and they are sins that are forgotten. We find that hard to understand. We are people that hold grudges. But you are a God that will forget our sins. 
because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Lord, you are one who is almighty. You are one who is long-suffering with us. You are uncomprehendable in many ways, even to the best of minds of our days and previous generations. There is much untold of you in your word, but there is sufficient clarity revealed to us in order to understand what salvation is and what duty is required of us before you, a holy God. Lord, may reverence in our hearts grow for you and our love and devotion in our lives that shows itself through the way that we speak and the way that we act. We would understand the immeasurable riches of Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray your word to be our guide. In every step that we take in life's journey, whether it be in the wilderness experience or whether it be when we walk in our comforts, Lord, we pray you be our guide. Lord, we thank you for the provision of an assistant minister in Callum Murdersmith. We thank you and anticipate with excitement that he will come to our congregation and be one that will expound the word over us and teach and pastor us and work alongside James in their work. Lord, we pray for them both. We pray that you would uphold them in the difficulties of pastoral ministry. But Lord, we remember the congregation of North East as well, as they will part with their uh, pastor. We pray that you will provide for one in his place who will be an under-shepherd for them and a guide for them in their days and a teacher to them and a, a man that will go out with the gospel to these people of the youths. Lord, we ask that you would be our refuge and our strength as we gather and worship you this night. You are the Lord of hosts who is on our side and you are one that doth constantly remain with us. So we ask that you would be that God, that Father that doth remain with consistency at our side, even in this hour as we gather. May you unblock our ears and open our eyes to see the wonders of God and the provision of Jesus Christ. May your spirit be with us as our guide. Open our eyes, we pray. All these things we ask in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May we continue in our praise by singing to God from Psalm 11. In the Sing Psalms this time. Psalm 11, Sing Psalms, that's on page 13 of the Blue Books. We'll sing from verse 4 down to verse Mark 7. Psalm 11, sing Psalms from verse 4. The Lord is in his holy place. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. His eyes observe the human race, and in his sight each one is known. The Lord examines all the just, the righteous ones he proves and tests, but all those who love wickedness and violence his soul detests. Upon the wicked he will rain, his fiery coals and sulphur hot, a scorching wind will beat on them, such punishment will be their lot. For God the Lord is righteous still, in righteousness he takes delight, and they alone will see his face, who are in heart and life upright. We'll stand and we'll sing these verses to God's praise. The Lord is in his holy place.
We'll turn now and read from the Word of God, and we'll turn to the book of First Samuel. Please turn with me to the book of First Samuel, chapter 4, and we'll read the whole chapter. It is an account that follows on from the memorable account where God speaks to the young boy Samuel in the night hours, and he prophesies a word against Eli, the priest's family. And what we see in chapter 4 is that word come to fulfillment. So let us hear God's words. And may we know it as God's revelation to us this evening. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come amongst us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell Israel thirty thousand foot soldiers. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day, with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on the seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for forty years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, 
she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Amen. May the reading of God's word and our presence be blessed to each of us. May we continue in praise to God by singing in Psalm 67 of the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 67 of the Scottish Psalter. Find that on page 300. First version. Lord, bless and pity us. Shine on us with thy face, that the earth thy way and nations all may know thy saving grace. Let people praise thee, Lord. Let people all thee praise. O let the nations be glad in songs their voices raise. Thou wilt justly people judge. On earth rule nations all. Let people praise thee, Lord. Let them praise thee, both great and small. The earth her fruit shall yield. Our God shall blessing send. God shall us bless. Men shall in fear unto earth's utmost end. We'll stand together and we'll swift our voices to God's praise. Lord, bless and pity us. Lord, bless and pity us. Shine on us with thy face. Lord, quite the passage that I read, but I'd like you to turn to chapter 3 of First Samuel and cast our eyes together to the words of verse 11. This is the words that uh, God spoke to Samuel in the night earth. We know the story, but many of us are maybe not so familiar with the words that were actually spoken to him. These are the words Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli 
that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Particularly these words, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. What is it that makes our ears tingle? What was the last thing that you heard that you could say pricked up your ears, made you listen? Occasionally we hear good news. Unfortunately, most of the time it is something bad. Or even news that is scandalous, news that is unhealthy for us that pricks up our ears or tingles our ears. But I believe the news that tingles our ears more than any other news is when we hear that someone has died or when we hear of some sort of tragedy. And certainly our ears may tingle at that news, but we can all probably admit that that tingle would go a little further and even send shivers down our backs. There is always some sort of an unbelievable element to that sort of news when we hear of someone's passing, even, even when we expect it. And I, I want to kind of be sensitive in how I say this. We do, and get, we do get surprised when we hear of that news. But what, what that news does to us is it, it speaks almost a silent voice in our ears, in a way that nothing else can do. It makes us consider eternity when maybe we haven't been and we've just been passing over it. Even if it's only for a moment that we, it brings it to our minds. It's like the voice of God reminding us of our humanity. And it is a, a lesson for us all to listen to when we hear that voice speaking to us. And we read in the fourth chapter here of 1 Samuel, but as I said, it was all in the context of what has previously happened. Hence our text from chapter 3 is our basis and that memorable account of God speaking to the boy Samuel in the night hours and revealing to him the future judgment of Eli and his sons. They would be punished because his sons had no regard for God. In offering sacrifices to the Lord, they had no regard for the people of Israel, and they sinned directly before God, so that it was said in chapter 2 that it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And what we see tonight is the outworking of that revelation, the outworking of God's will. It's the, it's the follow-up to that revelation. And what I find strange about this is how he brought these sons to their death. God could have struck them down at any time, like he did with Aaron's sons, when they disregarded God and did what they wanted before the Lord's presence. But he, but he let them go on in their lives, in their own apparent confidence, arrogance before God, even after they had this word prophesied over their heads. Chapter 4 is the fulfillment of the word. And there are two significant events in it. Firstly, we can see that there was a battle. And following that battle comes the news from Benjamin, which we can call the bombshell. So in our passage tonight, we have the battle and the bombshell that we will consider. So in taking that battle first, every battle, as you know, will usually be a, a fight. People generally fight with a purpose in mind, but we're not really told of the purpose here. And we can ask why, why on earth were the Israelites fighting? It doesn't specifically tell us, but we can trace it. We know that they are fighting the Philistines. And before we go further, I don't know about you, but quite often I get muddled up with these people groups within the Bible. 
Philistines, Assyrians, Moabites, Edomites, Ammonites. It's, it gets confusing. I hope I'm not the only one that's saying that. But it's hard to fit them into the passage and fit them into books of the Bible and what stories they relate to. So in order to grasp what we're looking at here, it's entirely beneficial for us just to do a bit of background on the Philistines and who they were. They appear firstly in Genesis as far back as Abraham. And when he moved, when he moved to settle in the land of Canaan after separating from Lot, the Philistines were a people group of the land of Canaan. They always lived in Canaan. And they, they remained there even when Abraham's descendants left for Egypt. And then they came back under the leadership of Moses and Joshua, back into Canaan. But they didn't, the Israelites didn't drive out the people. They didn't drive out the Philistines. They didn't drive out the Ammonites. But they actually came to adopt their gods rather than driving the people out. And this is told to us in the book of Judges. I'll just quickly read a passage there that really sets a picture of what's going on. The people of, well, firstly, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the first thing to note. And, and they served the Baals, the Asheroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines. They forsook the Lord. They did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he sold them. He sold them into the hand of the Philistines and the Ammonites for 18 years and they oppressed the people of Israel. And then that was chapter 10 in Judges and then later on chapter 13 there's another wee bit where it says the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, this happens. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. The Lord used this people, the Philistines. Israel kept rejecting God, and through this people group, God oppressed Israel for their evil before God. You'll... you'll come to mind that it was Samson. He was a Philistine. Oh, no, Sam, Samson was a Philistine. Samson fought against the Philistines. And then in the times of David, Goliath was a Philistine. But in due time, their might of the Philistines was overcome by this power of Assyria. This is when the Assyrians come in. And they conquer the Philistines. But then this superpower of the Babylonian Empire come and overwhelm them all. And it is believed that the Philistines of whatever remained were taken away with the people of Israel into exile in Babylon. And from my understanding of this passage and timelines, we are highly likely in this period of the 40 years. Eli was a, classed as a judge, as was Samuel. And it would seem that we're overlapping from this latter part of the book of Judges, but we're going on with this new change with Samuel in this book. Samuel's this faithful servant of God who trusts in him and relies upon him and who declares to the people, they must put away these foreign gods. They are not your gods. Return to the Lord, is what he tells them in chapter 7. This is a change. When Samuel comes along and tells you, you must return to the Lord. And then to answer the question, so why was there a fight? Well, it would seem that Israel has had enough of Philistine rule and oppression. Israel, we see, provoked the battle in verse 1. It says, now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. It seems that they just had enough of it. But very soon after it, we learn that they were defeated. They lost 4,000 men. And they returned to the camp with their tails between their legs, in a sense, beaten. And we can kind of ask, well, how, how could they ever overcome what God had already ordered when he sold them into the hands of the Philistines? It's as if they were just doing it out of their own confidence. 
Look at verse 3. What did they ask one another when they came back after this defeat? Why has the Lord, defe- why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Why has the Lord let this happen to us? It's often the case when something goes wrong, we ask, why, Lord? Why have you done this to me? Why have you ruined my plans? And I wonder how many people sitting here have asked or said that before God. Why God? I'm sure all of us have at some point. Probably most of us. And it's not a bad thing to ask, really. Why God? It can be at times a very healthy thing to ask. Not that we're questioning God, but struggling to reason why God does things. There's nothing wrong with the question, but, you know, we can create for ourselves great problems when we try and answer it. When we try and answer it. And we don't look to God for the answer. And it's strange that in our lives we can maybe try and answer our own problems and have this kind of superstitious outlook on life that, well, I did it myself years ago, you'd, you'd say, well, God, I'll go to church or I'll read my Bible and if you do this for me. It's, it's like, you know, like if we had exams, we'd say to God, well, I'll, I'll, I'll read my Bible every night and morning if, if you help me to do well in my exams. I'll go to church this week if you help me get the job that I'm getting interviewed for. And, and what that comes down to is that, well, well, we're making deals with God. We're making deals with God so that we can fulfill our ideals. It equates to using God to satisfy our desires. You know, as, as, if we, as if we could somehow fool God by our works. Fool him that our hearts are better than they actually are. And that we are, in a sense, deserving of something back. We don't deserve anything back, really, when we see ourselves. And that's the kind of thing that's going on in the passage here. When the elders agree on a solution to the problem, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come amongst us and save us from the power of the enemies. Essentially, it was an agreement to use God for their desires. They wanted to be free from the Philistines for their own benefits, alternative to what God had actually commanded. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines because of their disobedience. They weren't deserving of God's goodness. And there's a few points here. This is where we really see their errors come, their errors come to light. Shiloh was where the ark had rested from Joshua's day when they entered the land. And, and who were they to move it? Why did they reason that they could move it? There was no cloud telling them to move it. There was no pillar of fire leading them. They did not get the word of God like Joshua did to get the Levites to lift the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, and walk into the river. There's none of that going on here. Who on earth are we to tell God where to go and what to do? Who are we to tell God what he must do? In a sense, it's a back-to-front belief. We come to God in all reverence, fear, and awe. There's something far wrong when we start telling God what the deal is, what we want. It's a wrong answer, essentially. 
And what it is doing is turning the first catechism on its head. You're going wrong straight away when you're doing this. Essentially, it is God's chief end is to glorify man. Like we get something back from God. and God should be doing things for us all the time. But also, who comes with the ark? It's Eli's sons. Sons who gave him no honor. And it says in chapter 2 that they were men that did not know God. And it would seem that the whole of Israel, in a sense, did not know God, as they should have, at least. Well, when you have priests like them, who is going to teach you? They didn't know him. They didn't honor him. They didn't have reverence for him. And they treated God as this bargaining chip or lucky charm in a day when they failed and they needed an escape. I'll remember you, God, if you do what I want. And that whole behavior just reveals to us of how little they know of God. God looks at our hearts. God knows our hearts. How on earth can we fool God? But we can so easily go wrong. At this first step, we can so easily go wrong if we don't know God. And when we don't know God, you know, we, can, we just start getting distance from him and we don't understand what we should be doing and how we should treat him and we start going wrong when we don't know him. So the most important thing for us is to know who God is. Reading our Bibles, understanding who he is, his character, his attributes. It reinforces to us that the that we need to know these catechisms. The catechisms that men have completed and so that we would know God. But I don't think we as a people really value them as much as we should. Catechisms, confessions, the work that has been gone into them so that we may know God better and give him the honor and glory that he deserves. And that we would be a people that would not do evil in the sight of God, but that we would be a people that would come to him humbly and submitting ourselves and seeking to glorify the name of God. In a sense, when we're going through this passage and you see what's happening and they're taking the Ark of the Covenant and then Eli's sons are carrying it and leading it and you just start feel like alarm bells are going off in your head. That's what we feel. But it's interesting how the arrival of the ark made Israel feel. Verse 5. As soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. They made a great noise. You know, it must have been some moment even just to see this ark out of the tabernacle tent. I believe it would have been covered. Well, it should have been covered. Maybe they didn't cover it. But even just to see it in the daylight would have been quite something. It's on the move. And the only reason it's on the move is because, well, really some men thought it would be a good idea. It would appear that they felt so confident that this ark had come and it symbolized the presence of God. How could they be defeated now? God is with us. Well, certainly God was there. Maybe the with them is questionable. Regardless of how they feel. And how we feel has a massive impact on our lives There's no greater blessing and feeling to know God directly working and his presence with us. But in a sense, it's true that we can work up these feelings. We can have our ideas. We can have our plans. We can get excited about them and our feelings can be uplifted with these things. 
that we, well, these ideas that we create. We can feel sure about it, we can make a lot of noise about it, but if it's not God's will, then it can be a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of resources with no gain, and it may even be contrary to God's word. Again, we're back to God's word and knowledge of God. But on the other side of building ourselves up, we can also take ourselves down in our feelings. We can feel discouraged at times. We can feel like we are not the people we want to be. We can convince ourselves we're not the people we should be. We can, in effect, be like the people that were left in Shiloh. You know, the, the, the people came and took the ark away from them. And the people have had the presence of God taken from them. And we can feel like that, like the presence of God, like we knew before, has been taken from us. And maybe it can be the people of the day that do it. They can take it from us. We can feel like the feeling of the day. The feeling of the day has robbed us of our joy in the Lord. And maybe we feel like we aren't the people to make a noise that God has been mistreated. God, the word of God has been mishandled. What is happening is not right. You know, we have no record of Eli or anyone else questioning that they were taking the ark of God out of his dwelling place, the tabernacle. You see, we must be careful with our feelings and especially the feeling of the day. These feelings can sway us so easily and so far to each extremity. They can draw us from the word of God, either in confidence, blind confidence, or blind despair, in a sense. We must come back to the word of God. Come back to that word that is our stability, our steadfastness in our lives. It should be a warning to us when, our, when we are being led by our feelings more than by God's word. It should be a warning to us when our feelings are leading us, feelings are leading us more than God's word. But after the fight, what happens to their feelings? They were so confident before, it's turned on its head. So, you know, I can't imagine how despair they felt, the foolishness they would have felt. The ark of God has fallen into the hands of the enemy. This has never happened before. They've lost the presence of God. This should have filled them with fear. And you know, there seems, there's a key verse to what's going on here. We've, we've probably, you've read it without realizing it. Verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The first thing we hear is that the word that God spoke through Samuel came to all Israel. The prophecy against Eli and his household. The judgment, it was disregarded. Everyone knew it. It came to all as if everyone knew the word of God and no one cared for it. The word of God didn't tingle their ears. They were quite happy to blank it out and go on with their own plans. So God employed another way to tingle their ears. He gives them a hard lesson in order that they would listen. And it's important to remember that this people, they didn't forget God. They didn't forget his power, but they didn't honor God in their lives. They didn't come to God in their hearts. The word of God wasn't taken seriously. And it's often the case that God will drop some kind of bombshell in order that we will listen to him. So very briefly, let us look at the bombshell that comes here. The man 
called Benjamin, comes with the news as Eli was sitting in his seat by the road watching. You know, have you ever done something and you thought, boy, I shouldn't have done that? And it's so bad that you're thinking and it's keeping you awake and you're realizing this is not good. I shouldn't have done that. I've made a mistake. And you can't sleep and you can't relax till you, till you know the outcome of the situation. You know, I, I see Eli like this. I see Eli like this man who sat there. And maybe he's pondering over the ark of God being taken. And maybe he didn't do anything to stop it. And the words of Samuel's prophecy are coming back to him. And the more he thinks of it, the worse it gets in his head. And he sat there watching. Which is a funny thing to say about a blind man. It would seem as if every fiber of his being was consumed in watching for this news. And what was it? Israel is defeated, your sons are dead, the Arcos God has been captured. You'll notice there's a huge loss of life here. 30,000 soldiers have been killed, verse 10. The sons of Eli had been killed, verse 17. Eli himself fell over and died, verse 18. And the daughter-in-law died when giving birth, verse 20. If there was ever a time that ears would tingle, surely this was it. This tragedy. God's word came to be. God has graciously revealed his intent to the people of punishing Eli's household, but they didn't. No one regarded it. They didn't take heed of it. And it was not just the departure of life that they had to deal with. It was Ichabod, the departure of glory, the departure of the glory of God. I don't know what you think about that or what, what would it look like for you, the departure of the glory of God. And the more you think about it, the more terrifying it gets. Think, well, where is the glory of God? Well, within his people, within his word. You go, well, within actually life, which we are created uh, in the resemblance of God. And you go through all these things, and, well, we have new life here, coming in this final passage of this new baby. And, well, there's no joy. There's no joy here. Because God's, Glory has gone. And maybe it would be more provoking for us to ask, well, where does the glory of God stop? Well, there is a place where the glory of God stops. And it's a place called hell. And that is truly a place where the first catechism is turned on its head because there will be no glorifying God and no enjoyment of him. Man will have no meaning. It'll be empty. It'll be hopeless. So in conclusion, what lessons do we have to learn from this battle and this bombshell? Well, first thing, surely it is that we take heed of the word of God. Listen to God when it comes to our ears and we give our mind to it. It's worthy of our consideration. We must not be like the Israel of the day that had no regard of it, though they knew it. And that's the thing, we know the word of God, most of us here. But where do we place it in our lives? How do we regard the word of God? Do we disregard the word of God? We come to church, but what do we do with it after church? How do we treat God himself? Is there a reverence for God in our hearts? Does God dwell within us? Do we know God? Do we desire to know God? to keep us on the right path? Do we desire to know him above our ideals? Do we desire to know above our desires? Considering of all that we do and all that we act before God would be pleasing to him. You will all find failures within ourselves if we look close enough. Life is this battleground for each of us. We've all got this different battle. 
and ultimately a battle with the oppressor, the devil. And I'm not saying that we will never have battles. We will never face tragedies. But there is some sort of self-infliction here. And the chastisement of God being self-inflicted by turning against him. We can't ignore that. A Christian has confidence that God will be their deliverer through these times. He will keep him in the wilderness journey as we thought of this morning and when times are good, when times are bad. But we would need to have that heart like David to come to God with the same sort of hearts. We come with that heart of thankfulness and grace for his grace and his mercy towards us, his long-suffering with us in our transgressions. He lets us go on in our lives when we sin and maybe we were greatly ignoring him and greatly disregarding him in our younger days, but he let us go on. He's long-suffering with our transgressions. But there's another thing, a lesson. The people of the Israel, the people of the church, must be the same. The people that are God's people must be the same. They must hold the word of God so tightly and embrace it. We must understand the word of God. The word of God is our guide. That we would be people that see God worthy of honor, worthy to be glorified. So if we lack in that knowledge, we'll misunderstand God, we'll mistreat God, we'll start taking a diversion away from the right path. Nope. And we'll be like, Israel will put God in our own box and we'll take him to fulfill the ideas of our day and the feeling of our day. We'll put him in where we want him to go. Sadly, we are seeing churches do this today that put the feelings of the day higher than the word of God. And can we expect any good to come from it, really? There is a lesson before us that God calls us to listen. That's what he's saying to us. Listen to the word of God. Not disregard it. It's hard to listen to every word of God because there is plenty in it that we do not like. There's plenty in it that speak of and speak right to our hearts and condemn our hearts. And they're unfavorable prophecies that we like to ignore in a sense because, well, what else are we going to do with them? The fact is we don't like death. We don't like that unfavorable word or thoughts. We don't like that God will condemn us before our behavior. But we must remember Ichabod, the departure of God's glory. If we go on ignoring God's word, being complacent with God, mistreating God, not reacting to the duties that he requires of us, sinners, we'll see Ichabod. We'll see the departure of the glory of God. We'll see hell if we walk in a way contrary to the word of God. You know, you can blank it out all you want, or you can be ignorant of it, but there will be a day where they leave the man that does these things in a feeling of utter foolishness. I knew, I knew the word of God. But what did I do with it? I didn't regard it, I mistreated it, I used God in a way that I shouldn't have. Does the word of God tingle your ears? 
Have you ever felt the voice of God speak to you? Condemning you of your sins. Have you ever felt the words of the Bible make an overwhelming compulsion on you? Did you listen? Did you listen? God's word for our eternity should tingle our ears before the bombshell comes. He has set it before you tonight in this evening hour. And there is the undeniable truth of Ichabod. But also within its pages is the escape from what we deserve. The escape provided in his son, Christ Jesus. A saviour that will bring us and save us from that departure of his glory and bring us into that glory. Into that glory that we do not deserve as sinners and receive a glorious eternity, glorifying God for all eternity, where our joys will be restored and we will know joys in a way that are far beyond what we know of in this world. And in full measure, we'll understand what is the chief end of man, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So what we have in the battle and the bombshell, really, it's a lesson to us to listen to the word of God. May these thoughts be blessed to us tonight. We'll conclude in praise in a short prayer. And we'll sing to God's praise in Psalm 85 of the Scottish Psalter. And we'll find that on page 340. Psalm 85 of the Scottish Psalter. We'll find it on page 340. Verses 8 to 13. The last four stanzas there. I'll hear what God the Lord will speak. To his folk he'll speak peace. And to his saints. But let them not return to foolishness. We'll stand together. And we'll sing these words to God's praise. I'll hear what God the Lord will speak. I'll hear what God the Father in heaven, may we hear what you say to us tonight. And Lord, we pray that your word would be a word of peace to our souls. Lord, we pray that we would know who you are and understand the fullness as much as we can 
of your being. Lord, if that word be a word of conviction that is needed, let it be so. But Lord, we pray that your spirit would apply your word in a way that would be for your glory and the upbuilding of your kingdom. So Lord, we pray, speak to us even as we part this night. Be our meditation in the night hours. And Lord, if it be even your will that you would awaken us from our sleeps and speak to us. Lord, may we know who you are. May we treat you with the utmost reverence and see you as a holy one above all kings and kingdoms of this world. You are the God of our salvation and a God that has provided salvation in Jesus Christ. And so we ask all these things in his name. Amen.